Hi, Dominic. How are you? I'm good, Francesco. How are you doing? Great. So let's jump right in. We met in El Salvador and you were here with your friends and I think colleagues, if I remember well. You are a firefighter. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Some would say I am. That's my day job. So how did you get into Bitcoin? Actually, I was working near a conference in 2017 and I came across Bitcoin at this conference in 2017. And my running joke, of course, I always tell when I have a Bitcoin crowd, don't write me off, but it was an Ethereum conference of all things, right? Now, that's a running joke. Everyone always goes like, all right, man, forget this guy. He's gone. But the thing was back then, it was a conference for all types of crypto tokens. And it was just really the main ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. There was a lot of Bitcoiners there at the time. And I just talked to a lot of people there. And the thing that really captured me at this event was the conviction of the people involved. They were very much convicted, unshakable. Doesn't matter what, you know, I'm always sometimes like a skeptic. So I'll throw like, well, what about this? What about that? Well, what if this happens? You couldn't shake them. And I learned so much from the conference. And from there, I continued learning about Bitcoin. And there's lots of twists and turns and all kinds of exploration and discovery, but that was the start. I have a different story for the first time I heard about Bitcoin like everyone else. These are one of those stories that hurts, right? It was 2011. I was at home with, and my roommate was there and I had just bought my first stock. I bought Sprint and I walk out of my room, the knucklehead that I am. And I'm like, Hey, my buddy, I go, dude, See it. I made it, dude. I just bought Sprint stock. It's undervalued. It's going to be like the next thing. And he goes, interesting. And he says, hey, do you want some advice? And I said, yeah. He said, sell the Sprint stock and buy this thing called Bitcoin. And I go, what's that? And he's like, it's complicated. Like, I don't even know what it is. And I was like, well, how much is it like a share? He's like, it's not a share. It's a token. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, how much is it? He's like 10 bucks a token. And I was like, are you going to buy some? And he's like, no, I have too many student loans, so I'm not going to buy any. I said, well, then I'm not buying it either. Sounds cool. Sounds like a cool project. So that was my first Bitcoin story, which everyone has one of those. But my real in it was 2017. So from 2017, you started going down the Bitcoin rabbit holes, right? And first, who was the person or who were the people that teach you the most about Bitcoin? And what was the thing that really made you also reach the same level of conviction that those people that Orange pilled you the first time at the conference had. Yeah, there wasn't any notable figures, just everyday community supporters, people I would talk to afterwards, things I would look up, reading about different things. I learned a lot about just the topic from different sources. From the moment of learning, I always regarded Bitcoin as the original, the foundational project the one that has the longevity, lasting power, the one that is true to its mission design. And of course, like many, I explored all kinds of different projects. And I would say recently, kind of a twist of fate, a turn of events, led me even deeper into Bitcoin and back into it. There's a story behind it involving the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, which I can tell. It's a longer story, so we can get into it. It basically got me through events outside of my control back into more of an active role and really supporting the network and using whatever abilities, skills that I have to support the network. Okay, now I want to hear that story. Okay, so the story takes place recently. It was 20, I'm going to say just last year, end of last year. 
and I was showing up to work. As you remember, what was going on, let me paint the picture for you. FTX was in its collapse coin in its price termed in dollars was coming down and I was headed to work. And of course, like many Bitcoiners at that time, right? I'm like, okay, it's time, right? Time to get the station set up. We're going to stack. It's stack time. Like the question isn't if we're going to stack, it's how much and when. Get to work and we get a call and we get a 911 call for someone injured. So at this time I'm working at our beach station, we respond and an individual had hurt themselves in the water. They were diving in the water and they had some pain in, in their neck. And we went there and it was like, all right, we're looking at the situation, which we've seen a lot. And we took all the precautions to make sure we stabilize this person, get them where they couldn't move their neck and get them to the trauma center. And at the time I was telling this individual, dude, I know you're going to be upset because this is a little bit overkill. And people are always like, Hey, do I have to go to the hospital, et cetera? And we're like, look, this is the safest thing we can do. We go up to the hospital. I'm talking and, and I always make conversation when people are hurt. It's scary, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. You don't know anyone that's had an operation for us, the medical professionals or paramedics or firefighters. We just get to work, right? To help you. But a lot of times you want to go like, excuse me, like, where am I going? What's going on? And we don't even know what's going on at the time. So I, I make some conversation. Where are you from? And this individual's, I think from the Midwest. And I'm like, well, what are you doing here? And he's like, hey, I'm here for a conference. And the Pacific Bitcoin conference was two days away. And I was scheduled to work it for the fire marshal's office to do help with the plan checks and all that. Just coincidence. And I go, are you here for the Pacific Bitcoin conference? And he goes, yeah, you know about that? And I was like, dude, I'm working it, dude, in two days. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, what are you doing with the conference? He's like, I work for the company putting the conference on. I'm like, what do you do there? He's like, I'm an analyst for the movement and coin price analyst. I go, excuse me, hold on. Stop the ambulance. We're like at 17. Like, what's the deal, dude? Are we going in? And so he was laughing. We didn't really stop the ambulance. We were just joking with him. And he's laughing. And, and so long story short, he was hurt. He had broken vertebrae in his neck. And so when I showed up at the conference, I was expecting to see him there like, hey, dude, thanks for sending me up for no reason. I got a bill and I was stuck at the hospital for eight hours and stuff. But he had to have emergency surgery. And what we learned was that had he not gone up, he potentially could have been paralyzed. And so it was very just powerful connection Obviously, I ended up working the conference, talking with a lot of the company folks. We FaceTimed him at the hospital. Everything went well. He had a full recovery. And that was just another kind of, I would say like not an orange pill moment for me, but like when things happen in the universe that reaffirm things that you already believe and, and feel strongly about, it deepened that relationship and that opened up the next chapter of this journey and things that I'm doing now and trying to support Bitcoin, its mission and the community. So how are you supporting the community of Bitcoin now? Number one, as always, the best way to support is to learn as much as possible. And I love the community because no one really refers to themselves as experts, because how can you be an expert on something that is developing in real time? And so that's one thing I love about the community. Everyone's learning. There's this exchange of information. Everyone's really humble. I have such a minimal knowledge, but I try to push that learning. So that's the number one way I feel I can help the network is learn from people who have been in this space a lot longer, read, learn as much as I can, be open to all different points of view. Additionally, something that I was moved to start doing is 
For 10 years, I was on the board of directors, so elected union official for the Santa Monica firefighters. And I held the positions of political director and president. And after that 10 years, it was really rewarding. It was an unbelievable opportunity to represent a group of amazing people through all kinds of ups and downs, challenging times. So naturally, the two things that I've been very interested in were Bitcoin and the union work. And so when I finished, one way that I've been trying to support Bitcoin and education is working with unions, talking about issues like pensions, workforce, and really trying to educate the workforce and unions into opportunities that are there, both to support Bitcoin and receive support and opportunity for the unions in Bitcoin. So that's my main focus right now in helping. And then like you saw, I'm a fun-loving dude. I like making little tracks. I like keeping the humor in there and cracking a couple of jokes, making some people laugh or laugh at a song I might make or something like that. That's another way I like to have fun. In your experience so far, what is working when you are trying to orange peel people in juniors or other workers or maybe even older people that might be gold bucks? What have you seen working? Obviously, not bringing too much to the table at once. It's a process, right? So as Bitcoiners, we're so excited. We want to sit down and after 20 minutes, I want the person to be an expert and I want them to have bought Bitcoin and I want them to hold it and then I want them to go teach the next person. But it doesn't really work like that. And so a lot of my conversations have been just on understanding what it is. There's so much room there. I mean, simply understanding what is Bitcoin. That's a tough hurdle to get over. And it took all of us a lot of time. I remember back in the day when I thought I knew about Bitcoin. And if I listened to myself talk about it from four years ago, I would refer to myself as someone who was uneducated and didn't even know the fundamentals of it. So one thing that's been working with folks I found is explaining at its most core level what Bitcoin is, what the blockchain represents, how the monetary system works, and describing it in physical terms, but then just saying, now imagine those physical terms on a digital platform. It's not something that you're holding. I've used different analogies, but that's a key thing that I'm focusing on, and I've had some success there. The second piece that I've found success in is for those that start learning about what Bitcoin is and get a better idea and want to get in, I will not participate with people necessarily getting in over their skis or too much at the time before they've had a chance to learn. I don't think that that's necessarily good. Of course, it's good for the network. If someone wants to go, all right, you know what, Francesco, I talked to you and I'm going to take 10% of my net worth and I'm going to put it all in Bitcoin and I'm all in. I understand there's some positives to that. But what happens with that, because Bitcoin is in a place of volatility and it's growing in its adoption and growing in users, we know as Bitcoiners that we see the ups and downs in the short term. We know that when we zoom out, we're trending up. I believe there's incredible value to getting people to come in at small increments and learn as they come in more so that they make their own decision, not based off what I'm saying. You listen to Greg Foss and you're like, when Greg Foss talks, you go sell the house, the couch. He's just so on point. He's a motivator and he's so convicted. As with a lot of Bitcoiners, you see that and you go, okay, get everything liquid and let's do this. But I think there's incredible value to learning incrementally. And I found success even with people I've talked to during the highs that then hold through the lows when they've come in at that small amount. 
them out. Those are the people that usually go, hey, Dom, I remember we were talking about Bitcoin when it was at 45K. And I remember you said, don't go all in trying to win a house or buy a truck. Go in in small amounts and learn. And you know what? I did that and I learned. And now I'm making my own decision to go in more and slowly kind of like build my stack. So I found a lot of success in removing the fears of Bitcoin by having a very low risk threshold at entry. That's a great strategy. I also think people should invest or save in Bitcoin, and that should be correlated to the level of knowledge that they acquire with Bitcoin. Because if they don't match, when there is a problem, they're going to freak out, they're going to get out, and they don't want to learn about Bitcoin or touch it again. And it's actually backfires, that kind of strategy. So I totally agree with that. You told me you were in Alaska last month talking about Bitcoin to a group of people. Last weekend, a Bitcoiner named Wade put on a Juno Bitcoin bootcamp. And Wade, he's been involved, worked in the legislative offices there, longtime Alaskan, big supporter of the state. He put this together to help educate different legislators or people that are involved or unions or interest groups, residents, community folks in Alaska to explore some of the opportunities that Bitcoin offers. So I didn't go to Juno. It's a long trek for me. I just got back from El Salvador. Swan hasn't let me borrow their private jet yet, so I can't get to these places quickly. I'm in coach, bundled up in coach. So I couldn't get there, but I zoomed in with some incredible folks. Natalie was there hosting, Alex from Swan, Foss was there, Andy Pitt, Lisa Huff, Dennis Porter, a lot of good speakers there, just kind of diving into Bitcoin as it presents itself for Alaska. So you just left El Salvador where we met how was your trip to El Salvador? So El Salvador was an amazing trip. I'm actually working on trying to write an article, but there was so much and it was so like just such an incredible trip. So many different turns and people that we met an incredible experience that I'm actually, it's hard to capture everything in an article accurately. Overall, it was an unbelievable trip. Myself and two friends went down there with the goal of spending Bitcoin only, really exploring the circular economy, seeing how Bitcoin was interacting with the country face-to-face, -face, right? I don't want to read the articles. I want to hear from other people, but I want to see face-to-face -face, and I want to talk to people and see the look on their face, see how they feel about it. And we Don't surf. trust Verify, yeah? That's right. Don't trust Verify. It's fun reading about stuff that happened in the past or reading about things, but gosh, we have this opportunity in our lives and sometimes it's tough. It's easy to say, just travel there. But for a lot of people who are working, it's really hard to get the time off. But if you can, you go take that trip and go learn firsthand. So it was an unbelievable experience. We got to meet with you, which was incredible. So just great times. Let's do some reporting from El Salvador and Bitcoin. Where did you find challenges in using Bitcoin? And where did you find that it was actually incredibly easy to pay for Bitcoin? The way we set up the trip was it was myself and two friends. I was like, hey, I'm bringing Bitcoin only. That's it. Like if I can't get it, then I'm out of luck. And I tried to stick to that. We had a little safety valve who had some cash in case we needed it. First stop was getting into the airport, right? And I'm looking at the line at customs and I'm like, they got to accept Bitcoin. I mean, if I can't get in the country with Bitcoin, like what are we doing here, right? And so I'm in line and I'm like, but man, if they, and I, we're talking, hey, you think they accept Bitcoin? They got to, right? I mean, I don't know though, you know, like, can you imagine go in, 
see the Chivo sticker, boom, they accept it. I'm like, all right, dude, so pumped up. Like first step, there were some people that had some credit card issues in front of us and we came in with the Chivo and it was faster than the person that used the credit card. The woman at the window had it, boom, did the scan, used the moon wallet and I'm in the country with Bitcoin. So I'm like, thank man, already we're on our way. And then without going into like every transaction, which I'm trying to do more in the article, I would say we had a lot of success, but we had to work for some stuff. We stayed not necessarily in El Zante, which is the most well-known circular economy, which I would say, and I can't say this with certainty, you would know better than me, but probably your easiest experience in Bitcoin going into El Zante and, and having people to talk to and how accepted it is there. But we stayed in San Blas and our first stop was to El Tunco at night, which at the time I didn't know I was in El Tunco. You could have told me I was anywhere. You know, I'm just looking around like, wow, dude, like, where am I? And so some of the challenges were some vendors said, hey, our Chivo isn't working right now or we don't have Wi-Fi. We came to learn in the future that that could be accurate or maybe they just don't want to deal with it. And they go, sorry, it's not working. In that case, maybe they could accept it, but they prefer cash. Some challenges when we forgot to ask, of course, we always ask first, but we would go to a place and then afterwards you take Bitcoin and no, we don't. So now we got to figure this way out of it. Like, all right, like we can't break the streak. So what do we do? And we had all kinds of solutions for each situation was unique. Sometimes we would try to offer more in Bitcoin. Our first stop in El Tunco, I think our driver provided to us through Bitcoin driver, covered it for us and we paid him in Bitcoin. And so, so technically we didn't break our streak, right? We're still rolling. I would say the top reasons for people maybe not wanting to deal with Bitcoin, some of the challenges with the wallet or connectivity, challenges with the Bitcoin dropping from all-time highs to 69 to down to 15, 17, right? You hear those stories. Well, I don't want it to drop. Interfacing with the dollar and then getting Bitcoin, being able to use it for someone that doesn't accept Bitcoin. So that was a challenge, tech challenges where people just, hey, I never set my Chivo up. It was too difficult, you know. But overall, I want to say, despite it taking work, we were like 90% successful in being able to use Bitcoin every time. And in fact, we converted, not converted, but really whether we said, yeah, like we had a few folks like vendors that we would say, hey, look. We'll have someone pay you in cash. If you come back or we see you tomorrow and you have a Chivo, we'll tip you the same amount that this costs in Bitcoin. And so we would see them the next day and they go, hey, I got my Chivo, I'm set up. And we're like, boom, all right, dude, here, bam, got the tip. Or we'd offer more. Sometimes we'd say, look, how much is this? $20. Okay, we'll give you 30 in Bitcoin. All right, hold on one second. Or we go to a restaurant and they go, we don't have Chivo. And we go, okay, we, we're going to buy this and we'll pay more. Hold on one second. Be right back. Come back. Hey, I got the Chivo. It was amazing learning experience that you can't get from any article to see a circular economy working in real time and working through those challenges. That's what I would say the success was. Working through the challenges was the success. Yes. And we had a lot of successes. So, I mean, yeah. that 90% success rate is pretty good. Uh, let me ask you something. What was the most uh, surprising thing that you bought with uh, Bitcoin in El Salvador? I don't know if this would be surprising, but one of the best buys that we had was we met with Roman, who does the Hope House in El Zante, mm -hmm. and he sent us to Mama Rosa's. The first, what he said, Mama Rosa's was the first restaurant in El Zante to accept Bitcoin. 
if Mama Rosa's is like a little spot off the road and you're like, wait, this place takes Bitcoin and we got a little El Salvadorian little lunch dish right there. I wouldn't say it wasn't like surprising, but I was just amazed that this was the first spot that they still accepted it, that it was a historic spot because if they can do it, anyone can do it. We bought some stuff from vendors where we would just be walking along the beach towards like Punta Roca and the vendors, we'd go, hey, buy a piece of fruit or buy some mango. I'm like, there's no way they're going to take it. Yep, they, they have it. It was surprising because I would have expected maybe some of the corporate spots, which by the way, you know, the corporate spots all do take it. Obviously, there's a huge incentive for any business to accept any paying customer possible, whether they're paying in Bitcoin, dollars, anything. So a lot of the corporate spots that are kind of being built, they take it. But I was surprised that a lot of the vendors who don't have incredible amounts of tech available to them were able to accept. So what was the thing that surprised you the most in El Salvador? I'm sure you came here with an impression of El Salvador, you know, all the things that we hear in the media. And then you as a through Bitcoiner didn't trust, but wanted to verify and came here. So what was the thing that was the most surprising for you about El Salvador? I would just say the people's level of engagement, people's willingness to talk about it, even though I'm sure we were, for some people, just a little bit annoying when they're like, yo, these, these guys want to come talk about it. But we did it in a way where we really tried to learn and let people just talk. So I was surprised about people's engagement. I've traveled a lot and I've been traveling a lot around the world. So I never get surprised. I've never been one to buy into the media the rating that the State Department has for El Salvador, right? They have El Salvador as a Category 3 reconsider travel. I actually wasn't surprised at the level of safety because I've traveled a lot of places. I don't know how they arrive at certain ratings and stuff, but El Salvador was unbelievably safe. I never saw one crime occur. I didn't see any criminal activity, even to like something minor, you know, just, just little stuff. It was really safe. People are just really welcoming and treated us so great. I was not surprised by the people, but always impressed by people in El Salvador being like, just awesome, man. Just like so cool. You can talk to any of them. And we we laughed so much and we had good jokes, even though my Spanish is terrible, dude. I'm always just piecing together the Spanish, but I give them something to laugh at. I was surprised at a little bit of the difficulty in trying to use it. But as I learned more, what I was surprised is that things are moving so well, I think, and that that people are like talking about it, learning about it, working through stuff. And I would say that was some big takeaways for me. Imagine this. Imagine all the Bitcoiners that come here for a vacation and start orange peeling people here just for fun or because they want to be in Bitcoin. And then you start thinking about all the expats and Bitcoiners that are actually moving here. We live here and every day we orange build someone. <laughs> We're always talking about Bitcoin. So we know the network effects, but mostly on the digital world. But the same thing is also happening both on the ground here. So that's why in my mind, there's no doubt that El Salvador will be on a Bitcoin standard soon, 100%. Yeah. And the other thing is that, uh, for instance, how many people do you think you orange peeled or introduced to Bitcoin in uh, how many days were you here? Five, six? Five. Five days? Yeah. I would say number wise, trying to be as accurate as possible, we probably had close to 30 to 35 transactions. And of those transactions, a large percentage accepted Bitcoin already. We would double down on our excitement and support of that Bitcoin, always 
tipping vendors, anyone that accept Bitcoin, we really want to show them our appreciation as Bitcoin tourists for them accepting that. And then we converted one of the hardest converts that's still a work in progress is my guy who actually was an expat, Punta Roca Bob. He's a legend, dude. He's a surf legend out there who runs a surf hostel. And we had him, dude. We were working on the wallet right there, but it wasn't the problem with the wallet. It was the, his phone was dying, the battery, or there was a, he didn't have space in his phone. So it's a work in progress. I have a bounty out on Punta Roca Bob. We're going to get him on the Bitcoin. He was the most awesome dude. And we converted a lot of people just to get wallets. So I'd say we converted like solidly eight to 10 people that didn't have it before. My friend Nick at one point was sitting with a driver who didn't accept Bitcoin. When we met you at the Bauhaus in El Tunco, he was sitting with the driver for like 20 minutes just in the car helping him to set up because he was like, hey, I'll pay for the ride in cash, but I'll pay more in Bitcoin. And the guy's like, I wish I could do it. I just, you know, I can't. He set him up with the Chivo in the in the car, gave him the money, and it was great. And so one of the things I'll just mention that was so amazing, and I've talked about this in different spaces transactions we look at as kind of like not with excitement or it's not stuff that makes us happy, right? We pay bills all the time, the power bill, the electric bill, we pay the cost to drive our car, insurance, groceries, we're just paying like that. But at its foundation, paying for a service or an exchange, it's trading something of value for something of value. And that's the original handshake bartering system that started money to begin with. And Using Bitcoin was incredibly humanitarian feeling and rewarding because for the first time in my life, I went to a country and there's a history of people working against poverty, working day to day. And it was great to give people a gift that I believe, and not a gift, just it was just exchange of, of money for what they're, whether it was coconuts or a mango or buying lunch or buying meat at the butcher market or whatever. I'm giving them something that I am proud of that if they hold over time, will reward them very much versus just like, here, just take this. Thanks. Like, have a good day. And that was great in setting people up. I do think it's important to continue to educate people. And one of the things I'll talk about before we clear on the show is what I think is the next step needed in giving that gift. But that was really incredible. And that was probably the most surprising thing. I was surprised in how it felt just doing the transactions. And that is such a good point. Yes, it's always a great feeling to pay in a Bitcoin. When do you think you're coming back to El Salvador? Hopefully as soon as possible. It's only a five-hour flight. I definitely, I decided I want to come for the conference in November. Yeah, really interested in that. But I, I think I'll come back before. The surf is unbelievable and the people are great. The food is great. Lots of adventure. And I only got to see a small part. I want to see other parts of El Salvador. Our surf buddy, Marcos, shout out to my guy, Marcos. He'd mentioned Punta Mango as like all kinds of cool areas. Didn't get a chance to hike like Santa Ana, but I want to come back and get out more and enjoy the nature out there. So I'll be back sooner than later. You know what I mean? Maybe I'll come tomorrow. Who knows? What are you doing, dude? I'll come visit tomorrow. We'll get lunch. Let me ask you one thing that I noticed for me when I, I was here the first uh, week in El Salvador to explore the country. And then I went back to Florida. And once I was in Florida again, we have decided to move to El Salvador to relocate here. You know? And at that point, my wife and I kind of rushed our plans because we missed El Salvador so much and the lifestyle and the people here. And I think that now would be very weird for me 
if I leave El Salvador and uh, I would go back in Florida, for instance, it would be so hard for me to orange peel people or to pay with Bitcoin for anything. So I wanted to ask you, once you went back to California and you couldn't paint with Bitcoin, how did that feel? Did you have this feeling like kind of going back in time? Yeah, that's a great question because how do you go from a trip where you're so excited and people are willing to learn and, and there's support from the country and learning. And then if I walk into CVS and I go, hey, do you take Bitcoin? The person be like, get the hell, get out of here, dude. Like, what are you doing? Yep. You know. <laughs> At first, I didn't do much orange pilling on a transactional level, but then I kind of started thinking, I'm not going to let that detract me. And so a perfect story, my wife had a tire that had a nail in it. And so I went to go help her real quick and get the tire patched at that spot. I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep the party going, dude. And so, of course, I offered to pay in Bitcoin. No, I don't have it. I said, you know what? I'll tip you the same amount. It was like $20 to patch the tire. I said, I'll tip you in 20 in Bitcoin if you can set it up, if you want to set it up. And they're like, all right, I'll set it up right now. Boom. So boom. What's ironic is the small vendors, I think, in the US are going to be a lot more willing to have the discussion. You go to a huge chain or corporate spot and they're not going to do it. That's ironic because in El Salvador, I noticed that I don't think I ever went to a corporate chain that didn't accept it because... Again, if you're a corporation, you accept every customer you can, right? Especially in an economy like Bitcoin, where the growth is undeniable. You can debate all you want, the price up, down, you know, but like no one can debate the growth and holders. So if, if that's a growing customer base, why would a corporation not accept payment, even using something like Strike or any kind of payment system? That brings up a whole lot of interesting issues in El Salvador. And then you come back to the US and I'm actually finding more success with the mom and pop shops, the local vendors being willing to explore it. And I don't even know the avenue that's beyond my field to try to talk to Whole Foods or Vaughn's or Ralph's or some supermarket. And then you go to the line and you go, do you guys take Bitcoin? And the person's like, security, I'm going to keep rolling. And I think as a Bitcoiner, it's one of the best things we can do. We talk all the time in the space about educating policymakers and legislators. But if we are not actively supporting adoption education, we're kind of fighting a battle that's a little bit ahead of where it needs to be. And what I mean by that is I'm educating right now unions and all that stuff. And that's one of the main reasons why I want to educate the workforce, because if you talk to a senator and you say, you need to make this law about Bitcoin, that senator for sure is talking to his staff and they're thinking, how many people that I represent actually use and hold Bitcoin? And if the answer is 1% or 5% or 10%, that's not a huge amount. Remember, right? An elected official has to balance interests of everybody. And the higher interests often take priority. Some may argue, you can argue that there's corruption in certain systems. So it's like whatever is the most money takes the priority. But again, if you're looking at it from a pure standpoint, let's say a city council member or something at a lower level, not the state, they're going to look at their constituents who holds Bitcoin. And if you're talking about making laws for 1% of their constituency, that's a lot of effort and work for a very small percentage. On top of that, if you look at the numbers for Bitcoin, oftentimes the holders are younger and they don't vote. So now there's not even any fear of like, if I live in a district where 5% of the people in the district hold Bitcoin and of that 5%, only a few percent are actually turning out to vote. 
I'm not worried about a law. I can do a law against Bitcoin. It's not going to really affect me because when I go to run again, I'm going to get the votes I need to get in office. This is why it's hard to have sometimes those conversations when the adoption needs to be going because if you get the workforce on board and you get workers, everyday people, now when you're talking to a legislator about Bitcoin, they're going, how many people in my district hold it? 30, 40, 50%. Wow, it's a lot. Which people hold it? Workers, my nurses, my firefighters, police officers, construction workers, electricians. Hey, they also are part of not just Bitcoin, they have unions, right? And don't their unions contribute to our campaign and don't they vote? Yeah, they vote a lot. And so that's why I'm focusing so much. And I think it's important for Bitcoiners to do, even though it's hard sometimes and not all of us are very outgoing, we just like to go through life and not have to deal with that. Get a person a day, get a person a week, like offer a little something extra to do it because that is going to be very important for us. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. You're doing that. Most Bitcoiners are already doing that in many ways and in much bigger ways than I am. And so it's great that those are happening. That's really important. Man, that is such a great way to close this conversation. I love the message and I agree 100%. Dominic, where can people find more about you or how can our audience support you and your mission and spreading the adoption of Bitcoin? Yeah. On Twitter, my handle is Baywatch1. I do some articles on Medium. I have a Substack. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to use Substack more to offer people ways to see articles first and then exploring stuff with Geyser. But Twitter, I would say, is the number one spots. I have a Noster too, which I'm trying to use more, and that's on my Twitter. So if you go to my Twitter, you can find everything usually on there. Perfect. Yeah, we'll put everything down below in the description box for this podcast episode. Dominic, thank you very much for this conversation, and I cannot wait to shake hands again with you here in Bitcoin Country. Francesco, thank you, man, because you're doing incredible work in El Salvador. You are a huge signal out there, a supporter. And I would just say to all the listeners, Francesco came and talked to us at the end of our trip when we were trying to put everything together in our minds of what we just experienced. And sitting down with you for dinner was such a like fitting kind of end to our trip and like getting a good view of what's going on. So thank you. You continue to open people's eyes to El Salvador and you are a great advocate for the country and everyone there and Bitcoin. Thank you, man. I'm honored to have met you and I hope to see you soon again. Okay. Absolutely. Bye, Dominic. Bye, everybody. Thank you for watching this one. See you at the next one.